Hello, my name is Marzena Farana-Sherlock. I would love to welcome you to episode number 12 of Just Stories podcast. Today I'm meeting Sarah Curtis, who loves nature, bees and most importantly adventure. Sarah's biggest hobby is flying and I hope to hear how she got into piloting microlights and what it means to her. Sarah is one of two women who have a piloting license in Microlight Club in East Fortune in Scotland, a place that has been on the go since 1989. Sarah and I haven't met before this recording took place. However, when I spoke to Sarah on the phone, I could hear in her voice the love and passion for flying. Tune in to Just Stories podcast. Before we start, Sarah, can you tell me a few words about yourself? I'm Sarah, I'm 48, I'm a professional gardener and I've been flying for about four or five years and it's just fantastic because you take off and leave the world behind. (laughs) You're answering kind of my next question. Why flying out of all the things that are possible? to do. I've always been quite adventurous so I was into sporty cars and then motorbikes and I had an accident with a motorbike and it kind of put me off a little bit but I was looking for that sort of next thrill and my ex-husband started flying and I went up in the microlight with him and I kind of thought I'd quite like to know a bit about what's going on so I booked in for a couple of lessons thinking that I would just do a couple of lessons but then I realised once you start learning to fly you either know how to fly or you don't know how to fly there's no knowing a little bit so I just decided to keep going and get my own license. Do you remember that first flight with your ex-husband but then also as a pilot being by yourself? My first flight was actually with another club member here who volunteered to take me up while my ex-husband was having a lesson. I certainly remember that and the thing I remember most is the views which is still the thing I love the most. The views are just outstanding even if you fly around the same little patch of land they're always different because the weather changes and the sunlight changes and the seasons very much in Scotland change my first solo flight when you're learning your first solo flight is actually what they call the circuit so you take off you fly around in a square and you land and you do that three times once your instructor thinks you're fit for it Although that was amazing because it was the first time I was in the plane on my own, the first flight that really got to me was when you've done so many solo takeoffs and landings that you're allowed to go out of the circuit. And I flew up over Garvold, which is where I was brought up. And I had to, I flew up there and I was first time out the circuit on my own in the plane and I shouted to the sky, I'm flying, I'm flying, I'm a pilot. And just felt a bit stupid and quite tearful and emotional because um, I was looking down at the place I grew up thinking of me being a child and then, you know, seeing myself then flying, albeit the tiniest plane you can fly, but flying. It was incredible. So I had to turn around and come back because the emphasis was on flying and not crying. And I was <laughs> I was getting quite tearful. <laughs> that sounds very emotional. And for somebody who hasn't been higher in the air than going a few steps on the ladder, how does the world look like? What's different? Once you get past around a thousand feet, it kind of doesn't really change between a thousand feet and sort of 10,000 feet looking down. But once you're past a thousand feet, you can see for literally some 
sometimes hundreds of miles. And you can go on, today I think the clouds are too high, but sometimes the clouds are maybe a sort of three or 4,000 feet. So you can go up above the clouds. And it's like flying into a fantasy novel because there's this completely different landscape of the clouds. You see it very briefly if you go on holiday and go in a, an airliner, it sort of pops through the clouds. And then before you know it, you're, you know, 30,000 feet up. We tend to fly around 2,000 feet, 3,000 feet, that sort of height. So yeah, you can see a massive amount, but not in great detail. So don't worry, you know, if you're sunbathing in your garden, I can't see you. <laughs> That's reassuring. And uh, going back to the clouds, what is the feeling of flying through the clouds? And because now a child in me is talking, like, have you touched? <laughs> like, I know it's a mist. Well, the yeah, clouds are very wet and we don't fly with instruments. So we fly under what's called VFR, which means visual. I can't remember what it means. I'll get back to that. So we can't actually go through the clouds because once you go into a cloud, it's completely disorientating. There's no light and shade. It's like the thickest fog you've ever been in. So we tend to fly around the clouds. But on a day where you get those big fluffy clouds that you do in Scotland, we sort of fly through the holes in between the clouds and go up and round clouds and so it's just quite amazing and there's a really special thing when you get the plane between the cloud and the sun I think you get this in mountains as well the reflection or the, the shadow rather of the plane against the cloud forms a circular rainbow it looks like a, a target and it's called the Brocken Spectre and that's really quite incredible to see that light up on the side of the cloud as you fly along past it you know a spectacle quite often when there's clouds around I'll fly up and make myself get between the sun and the cloud just to see the rock inspectors because it's it's just so incredible what would you say was your like the most memorable flight gosh there's been so many I think some of the flights where you there was one day I flew from East Lothian and it was really dull here um, and really quite overcast and the cloud was sitting about 4,000 feet but over the coast, the sky was open and blue. So I flew up and over the Forth, and you go up to about 6,000 feet, 7,000 feet to cross the, the Forth so that if your engine fails, you have enough height to glide to one side or the other. And away up there over the water, there was a few shafts of sunlight f- through the clouds lighting up the water. And those shafts of sunlight are called crepuscular rays, which is a particularly nice name. And um, that's, you know, that's probably one of my all-time... I took a photograph and it stays with me, that view of the, the shaft of sunlight, like some higher purpose was just sort of lighting the way. It's just fantastic. You must have seen amazing things while flying over the last four or five years. Yeah, I've seen some um, lovely sights, the different clouds and the different places and the way the sunlight lights up. If it's been raining and there's puddles in the field and you can see for sort of maybe 50, 60 miles, all these glints as the sunlight reflects off the water. And then in the winter, when the snow comes and you get these incredible shadows I've got some fantastic photographs of the snow and the long shadows that you get in winter those are shorter flights because it can get very cold how long can you fly in microlight okay well the microlight itself can fly for about four hours it's got a 60 liter tank of fuel realistically we don't fly for more than about two and a half three hours and that's really a comfort thing you'd need to pee and <laughs> stop for a cup of tea and just sort of stretch your legs but a few of the club members have flown down to the the south coast and then the next day flown over to France and then flown around France or over the Alps and the club chief instructor and his wife they've flown over Mont Blanc 
although they're tiny planes, they're really not that limited. I myself haven't been that far. I've been to Yorkshire. I've been to the Lake District. I went to the Lake District for lunch one day with a few members. We landed in a field down there. I went to the pub for lunch and then we flew over the lakes and then came back up. And I've also been down to um, near Penrith for dinner one night and flown back at about nine o'clock in the summer in the sunset, which was quite amazing. And flown quite a few times to the Isle of Butte and walked to the pub for lunch or had a picnic on the airfield. So it's, uh, it's quite a nice thing to be able to fly over to the west coast and you get there in about an hour and 40 minutes in one of these wee planes, which is quite a lot shorter than the, the drive would be and certainly more scenic. The views would be beautiful, so the journey would would fly, actually, the time would fly. Yeah. <laughs> would time certainly flies when you're flying. <laughs> yeah. Can you do it in a very spontaneous way, or do you need to plan this kind of trips? How does it work? Because lunch in Lake District sounds lovely. You can be relatively spontaneous. You really have to rely on the weather. So microlights can't fly when the wind's more than about 15 miles an hour, and it depends on the wind direction. So today the wind's coming from the east, so it's straight down the runway, so that's perfect for us when we go up. Later, but if the wind was from the south or the north, it's a crosswind across the runway, and we can't fly if it's more than about 10 knots because it makes landing and takeoff really quite precarious and it's just not enjoyable. And flying has to be fun because when it's not fun, it's really, really not fun. <laughs> when you're saying really, really not fun, have you been in a situation when you thought, I don't like it, or when you felt quite scared. It's only happened twice. I went up one day and it was really quite a blustery wind and I made about 10 attempts at landing. The thing is, you just keep trying. You know, you don't have to land, you just keep trying until you're comfortable with it and then you land. And it was just getting it wrong with the wind conditions. And another day I'd gone up and I'd flown up over the Lammermuirs and I don't know whether the wind direction had changed, but it became very bumpy and turbulent. And every time I tried to turn the plane right off the Lammermuirs, mirrors it felt like it was just going to get flipped over by the wind and I was flying along thinking oh I don't like this it's really quite scary and I imagined myself radioing back to my instructor and saying you know I'm over the lava mirrors and I'm scared <laughs> and I could just see his face <laughs> in my mind's eye and I could hear his stoic voice saying well just come back soon I'll just fly back <laughs> <laughs> and once I heard that voice in my head I thought yeah that's what I'm going to do I'm just going to fly back and you know the fear went away the fear is very much in your head and once you've talked yourself out of that situation you know it's fine neither of the occasions anything bad happened it's, it was really in my head when you were talking about radioing your instructor do you need to communicate when you're up there with like the traffic control how is it with the flying zones how does it work so most of the space the airspace above East Lothian is free airspace so we can go wherever we want the microlights only go up to about 10,000 feet and you have to be a little bit aware that there are some big commercial airliners that come in about 6,000 feet and don't fly the normal flight routes for the Edinburgh airport. Edinburgh airport has a controlled zone above it and we're not allowed to fly into that zone unless we've prior arrangement with air traffic control and then we radio them and even then they could say you know well no it's too busy just hold there and come back but a lot of the guys here will radio and go through Edinburgh over Edinburgh and over the bridges I've not been brave enough to do it myself yet because air traffic control are a bit scary I've followed a couple other people through when they've spoken we go in a wee formation so I have flown over Edinburgh over the castle and over the bridges which is you know an outstanding view in terms of flying do you like to do it yourself or do you like to have somebody with you I quite like both I always say um, flying restores my soul when I've had a rough week 
if I come down, I think it's partly because when you're flying, you have to completely and utterly focus on flying. You have to do your checks religiously and be very, you know, safety orientated about everything you do. And then when you're flying, you have to pay attention to what's up there. But once you get up there, it just feels literally like everything falls away, you know, and you leave it behind because it is a different world and it's just you in the plane. And it's, it would be quiet if it wasn't for the engine right behind me. <laughs> but yeah, the views are just so amazing that it really just you know everything falls away i also like flying with people because it's quite nice to see their reaction or hear their reaction they're sitting behind me when we go flying later i'll pretty much be wearing you as a rucksack <laughs> that's how close we'll be but it's great to see or hear people's reactions some people go very quiet and they'll say just give me a minute you know and they're really quite scared Usually if I chatter away about, oh, we're flying over this or we're flying over that, or if you look over to the left, you can see the Bass Rock. If you look over to the right, you can see the train coming or whatever. So yeah, they both have their qualities, flying solo or flying with passengers. Talking about flying, I've asked you initially why, and you explained that, but still it seems to be male-dominated activity. Uh, there's two qualified female pilots at this club. There's another one or two in training, as far as I know, and one or two that have been and now don't fly anymore. But there's only myself and Kim that um, fly at the moment. I really don't know why women don't do it. Certainly it's an expensive hobby, and um, perhaps women have other things they want to spend their money on. I don't have children, so that probably makes it more reasonable for me to spend all my money on flying. But we often, we're on the stand at the air show, which is just across the road there, and people will come up, and I find that women often come up and they want to buy a voucher for their husband or their boyfriend or their brother. I'll say, you know, what about you? What about you? And they just say, oh, oh no, I don't think so, and never understand why women don't do it because women are just as adventurous so hopefully maybe one or two will listen to this and think oh give it a go even just a trial flight go up for half an hour how would you encourage women to try what would you say to them it really is like nothing else you've experienced and a few of my uh, friends that I've taken up friends and some of my gardening customers they've decided that you know for a big birthday actually they've always been scared but they're going to do it you get to that time in life where you just have to do things don't you so there's one or two of them yeah they've been scared but when they've got up there they've been overwhelmed by the views and then when they've got back on the ground and it's over <laughs> they're elated you know and they're elated for weeks when they think about it or look at the photographs because it really isn't like anything else the thing with microlights is you're not actually in a plane you're sitting in a plane you'll find when we get in later on your, your center of gravity is very much wedged in but there's no windows so you have really fantastic visibility and for that reason there's just nothing else like it. So how would you describe the flying community? Because you were saying it's yourself and another woman and then it would be majority of the guys. Is that important part to you? How does it work? Well, a lot of the guys, their wives or partners come down and come flying. So it's not just two women like two lame ducks <laughs> and there's quite a lot of us and there's Jill and Gordon who run the club Jill's always here so there's Jill makes up the numbers and the, the female contingent everybody's always helpful male or female if you have a question anybody will answer your question for you if they can and we have you know the, the usual club Facebook page and you can ask questions I asked a question the other day about heated gloves and what brand everybody uses and whether they're worth the money and you know everybody's really keen to help you I don't ever feel that you know being female in a man's world 
is a thing here. It's just not. Does it actually matter if you're a male or a female? Or does the love for flying matter more? I think the love for flying and the sense of adventure matters more, yeah. There's all sorts of ages here. As a kid, you can start learning to fly at 14. Before you get your, your driving license, you can actually have a pilot's license. And that's happened two or three times here. So we've had pilots in training at 14 years old. And I think we've had a few in their 70s. And we've had passengers in their 80s and 90s. And disability as well. The club often flies people from Lukey House who have severe physical disability. But they can come and sit in the back of a plane. And it must be just amazing to see a completely different world when you, you know, you're stuck in maybe a wheelchair or... That's my noisy plane coming back. This is Just Stories Podcast. I'm Marzena Farana-Sherlock and I meet with people to find out about stories, places and initiatives that are part of their history. Today I'm excited as a five years old. I am visiting the Microlight Club in East Fortune in Scotland. I am meeting with Sarah Curtis who speaks not only about her humongous love for flying, but also about practicalities of how to become a pilot and what to expect on the way. What does it take to learn? How does it look like to learn to fly? What do you need to pay attention to? The first thing you would do is come for a, a trial flight and go up just for half an hour just to see whether you, you know, some people just don't like it for whatever reason. And then after that, if you want to learn, then you book lessons with the instructor and usually have a two hour block. One of those hours is sort of theory and what you're going to be doing and the other hour is the actual flying and you do different exercises each time you fly. The minimum you can do to get your license is 25 hours and realistically people take much longer than that because nobody's you know perfect at flying when they first start. The younger they are generally the quicker you learn and that's like most things in life I think you know it's just younger brains adapt more easily so it took me quite a few hours 52 I think it took me and I, I'm not that age <laughs> but yeah I feel that because it took me a wee bit longer maybe I'm a slightly better pilot for it because I just got that little bit extra training but you know there's perfectly good pilots that have done it in less time than me it really is a personal thing what people should expect or are there things that are completely unexpected and you learn on the experience? I think for me, the, one of the things, the first two or three lessons, I was really quite terrified that I was going to do something and the plane would just sort of fall out the sky. So I remember saying to the instructor, Look, can you just sort of chuck it around and show me what it can do? And then after that, you know, I felt reassured that I wasn't going to just do the slightest thing and it was all going to go wrong. <laughs> so yeah, that was one of the, the reasons assuring things there's quite a lot of theory involved there's a lot of exams they cover things like human performance which is all about you know being healthy and the limits of what your body can take because it can be really tiring it can be really cold there's thinner air as you go higher so your body's less able to get enough oxygen as you go higher which is the same with you know mountains or whatever so there's all sorts of things that can affect you as a person and there's days when I've come down here thinking I'll fly and then thought no I'm, I'm not quite with it today or I'm a bit too tired so human performance is a big thing and we also do meteorology obviously it's the sky it does a lot of changing in Scotland air law oh that sounds like my plane coming back overhead I co-own and own my plane so the person who shares it with me he's flying just now so yeah there's quite a few exams that was a bit of a task <laughs> Do people need to meet certain conditions when they come for the course, for the training? 
Not really. There are one or two restrictions. Weight is one of them. Microlite tends to give the name away. You know, they're very small planes, so there's quite strict weight regulations on the weight of the passengers. Some people have actually lost weight in order to fly, though. That's a health benefit. It is, yeah. If you were very short, you might have a problem reaching some of the pedals, but that would be the same for driving. Health restrictions, you just have to have a valid driving's license, I think, or, you know, have that sort of level of fitness. There's one or two health conditions that would preclude you from flying but I can't remember what they are you would have to apply to the CA to find those things out which is the Civil Aviation Authority. You've said that you fly without instruments what does it mean? So we don't have a, a false horizon instrument that tells us where we are in relation to the land so we're really just looking at where we are in relation to the land. We have an altimeter which tells us how high we are above sea level. This airfield is 120 feet above sea level because we're near North Berwick obviously and that's right on the coast sea level and we've got a few other instruments that tell us about the state of the plane, the engine, the airspeed, that sort of thing. But um, we don't have that false horizon that other aircraft would have to be able to see at night or through fog or through clouds. If somebody wants to fly, how does it work? Should they have their own plane? Can you borrow a plane? How does it work, especially here in East Fortune? First of all, you need to get your license. Once you start going solo, there's a plane here that you can rent by the hour to be able to fly solo without having to buy a plane. A few people here own their own plane outright. Other people, there might be up to five people that own a share in a plane. So you can buy a share in a plane from, really depends on the plane, but sort of four or five thousand would get you a share in a really good plane and I own half my plane <laughs> we just arrange when we're each going to fly you know there's costs associated with uh, flying there's you have to pay hangarage to keep the plane here pilot's license has to be certified every couple of years and that costs you a, a lesson the plane has the equivalent of a car's MOT every year being aviation parts can be quite expensive and then the insurance is quite expensive in case we crash into something or somebody and then last thing would be the fuel cost and it uses as much as a thirsty car and it uses the same fuel as a car it uses motor gas or mo gas not aviation fuel which means we can just stop at the petrol station on the way here and fill up our cans so that makes it a bit more accessible as well and in terms of what you wear we all wear um, padded flying suits um, there's one or two people who are motorbike uh, riders and they have maybe go up in motorbike leathers or you know one piece suits the padded flying suits are really just sort of it's like wearing a a big winter coat all over and generally in the winter you'd want you know a good woolen jumper and a couple of layers under that and some thick wool socks Um, in the summer there's the odd occasion in Scotland where we can maybe fly in a t-shirt for half an hour maybe get away with a t-shirt and a jumper for a bit longer but um, most days it's more comfortable to go up with a flying suit on other than the flying suit generally wear um, a helmet and that's got intercom so you can speak to your passenger and also so that you can speak back to the club and there's radio protocols obviously so that everybody knows where you are and what you're doing so when we go out to fly we'll you know announce that we're taking off on a particular runway and going in a particular direction and when we're coming back we'll um, announce to that radio frequency and all the planes that are on it can hear that we're say above North Berwick with four miles to go before the airfield and we're at 2,000 feet and you know we're approaching from the north so that everybody knows where we are and that's just safety to avoid collisions or anything.
That's a very nice house for the microlight. Lots of nice different colours of little planes. Instructors plane at the front there. As you can see, they come in all sorts of colours. Some of these will have one owner, some of them will have four or five owners. There's a couple waiting to be fixed for their usual annual MOT. And over there's some flying suits for people that come for experiences. They're um, left out and sanitised, obviously, every night with the way the pandemic is. Microlighting is one of the things that's quite safe in the pandemic because you're both outside, breathing in a lot of fresh air. And are they all different? There's two or three different models. So there's some that are a bit newer and some that are designed more for touring, some that have got big, thick tyres that are designed for landing, maybe on beaches or rougher land. But they're mostly all the same make, which is Quick, which was a company called P&M, which just recently moved to India. There's different sorts of microlights. These are what's called flex wings or weight shift because the, the wing sort of hangs on a bolt and the little pod of the plane shifts underneath it, so the weight shifts underneath, sometimes known as danglies, because <laughs> they do kind of dangle. So these are flex-wing microlights. You can get fixed-wing microlights, which essentially looks like everybody's typical image of a plane. They have windows and doors, screens, and you're inside. They're indoor planes. We've got outdoor planes. I can hear that there's a wee competition going on. <laughs> Well, there's only three fixed wings here. They have their own special hangar and they're their own special folk. The flex wing gang are much better. <laughs> this is what I thought you would say. <laughs> <laughs> of course. This is a quick GT450 microlight, um, which has got a slightly bigger wing than some because it's a touring plane. Um, it's a two-seater and you can see in front of us there's um, two very close seats. The pilot sits in the front seat and the passenger in the back if there is a passenger. The sides are completely open, there's no glass or no windows. And above you have what looks like a hang glider sail or wing. Uh, we call them sails, but they are, it's the wing. I think these started from hang gliders. I'm not 100% sure, but I think that's where they came from. Somebody decided to put an engine in them. So we've got a Rotax uh, 100 horsepower engine behind us with the propeller behind that. And the propeller drives the plane and the wing pushes the air up. And so we fly. Amazing. I can't wait. So I'm going to get in and uh, start the plane and you'll you'll hear things going. Clear prop! When you're getting in you can step on that and you can step on this but not mm -hmm. this, this is just plastic. Mm -hmm. And then this bar here, the silver one, you okay. can pull yourself in or hold yourself up to climb in. Mm -hmm. You just need to watch that wire with your helmet on. Sit yourself down and then I will strap you in. This will plug into your microphone so that we can hear each other in flight. And then this comes up and I sit there. So you can see where I said, you know, wearing you like a rucksack, you're literally, <laughs> you've got your legs wrapped around my sides. So that's how close we are. If you feel sick, let me know well in advance and we'll just come back because being sick inside a helmet really isn't good. <laughs> I can imagine we wouldn't like to do that. that. <laughs> You know, if you're, the same goes for if you're scared or you're not enjoying it, just say and we'll come straight back and come back down. When we take off and land, I need to do some radio calls, so if you can stay quiet for those. And when we're coming into land, it really does feel like I point it at the ground and just dive down. And that's how we land these. So, you know, if you're sitting there thinking, oh my God, it's okay. <laughs> I will try not to scream, not to give you a scare. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'd be good. I can always switch your, um, your comms off and I won't hear you screaming. <laughs> Fair enough the engine will be louder yeah <laughs> let's go and get our kit on amazing 
And we went off. I felt like I was walking on sunshine and clouds, literally. I had tears in my eyes when Sarah flew over clouds and made my dream come true. It was truly breathtaking and I was left speechless. I also flew over my street, screamed at Sarah, showing her my ice cream van that is turned into a camper van, and I totally, in that particular moment, understood how it must have been for Sarah when she first flew over her family village, Garwald, in East Lothian, in Scotland. It's been one of the best experiences of my life so far. Before we ended our conversation, I asked Sarah one more question. Can you imagine not flying? Not really. I think... No. (laughs) I can't. It is certainly addictive because, well, it's adventure. Today's world, there isn't a lot of adventure to be found. We're all quite sort of stuck with daily life. It's just the best thing to be able to take to the sky. And when you're up there, especially in Scotland, there's there's very, very few planes up there. Even when a really busy day here, there could be, you know, sort of 20 planes flying. But when you get up there, you can't see any of them. They've all gone in their separate directions. And you just have this thousands and thousands of miles of sky to yourself. This poem was written by Gary Claude Stocker, I think World War II pilot, and it's called impressions of a pilot. Flight is freedom in its purest form, to dance with the clouds which follow a storm, to roll and glide, to wheel and spin, to feel the joy that swells within, to leave the earth with its troubles and fly, and know the warmth of a clear spring sky, then back to earth at the end of the day, released from the tensions which just melted away. Should my end come whilst I am in flight, whether brightest day or darkest night, Spare me your pity and shrug off the pain, secure in the knowledge. I'd do it again. For each of us is created to die, and within me I know I was born to fly. Beautiful. I love it. (laughs) Just, it was like I wrote it. He just captures everything. I had a necklace, I think I still have a necklace, and I had inscribed on it to leave the earth with its troubles and fly. Because that just is how I feel when I get up there. I truly enjoyed hearing Sarah's story. Her love for adventure and willingness to just do stuff are contagious. For her, sky is definitely not the limit, but a door to many more adventures. Fly high, Sarah. This was the 12th episode of Just Stories Podcast. Thank you for listening. In the next episode, I will meet with Kim Ritchie, who not only flies microlights, but also is involved in the border search and rescue unit that is a part of Scottish Mountain Rescue. You can tune in to Just Stories Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean platform. Marzana Farana Sherlock, thanks for listening and I will see you in two weeks.